Having conducted wide and deep qualitative research on the quality and listenability of this podcast, we have been appraised that currently the audio volume is far too quiet. As such, for the rest of the episode, we will be raising our voices in order to deliver you, the listener, the ideal listening experience. Perfect! I think that went rather well. I did, yeah. Moving on. Welcome to Naughty Kids, the podcast where we explore the best of that halcyon age when things were better, dungarees were worse, and the Spice Girls ruled with an iron fist. It is, of course, the late 90s and early noughties. I'm Josh Hinton, 1994 to present. And I'm Joey Hart, 1994 to 3, 5, 7, 11, 13, 17, 19, 23... What was that? Prime time. This week we're cozying up in the armchair of memory with a good book or seven, exploring the best books of the late 90s and the early noughties. Excellent. Very good. We are. I think that prime time joke landed perfectly. I don't think anyone's going to be confused by that. No, they're not. I think they're going to get that prime. Now, my favourite thing about books is is that a good book is often described as being a page turner. Which I've always thought is a stupid thing to say, because if your book is not a page turner, what you have got there is not a book. It is perhaps a, a lump of wood. Perhaps a stage prop. Uh, decoratively uh, decorated in some way. Yes. It, it, yes. It, it, I mean, you're right. It is, a, it is a stupid turn of phrase. But as I mentioned prior, phrase, as you say, yes, prior, prior to yeah. filming, I do have uh, an excellent phrase, uh, which which is which is better than that stupid phrase, which... I discovered recently on uh, the Great British Sewing Bee, uh, which of course is the greatest ah. television program in the world, and they have upon the Great British Sewing Bee uh, a person from Scotland. And one of the challenges they had to do in this uh, in this in this particular episode is speak is, English. Is speak English, and uh, and and. Okay, well then, this one I've said up all these things. I don't know on the sewing bee. So that's so happens. I hit all sort of never people and everything. Only so you are. You're Irish at the end there, some Northern Irish. <laughs> so you're elsewhere, maybe. So that, never mind. Get over here. You're a great Irish. All these Celts. It's all indistinguishable. All anyway, Celts. what she had to do is she had to make some clothes out of different clothes. things. Oh, sorry. Clothes. I'm in the wrong bit of Scotland. Clothes. That's right. No, she was from Edinburgh. It's very nice and gentle. And one of oh, the things that she had way. to do was she had to make clothes out of, amongst other things, here comes the phrase, she had to make them out of... Right. A pool noodle, and I a just think noodle. pool noodle <laughs> in Scottish. It's a bit like the co-op. We're good with food. Good like with food. Pool noodle. Pool noodle. It's brilliant. You've got like you've got to have a run how up. How did she, how did she die? Oh no, she was attacked by a pool noodle. A pool noodle. <laughs> it's like pool right in the face. <laughs> when you think about it, the, the letters in that are like P I U, pool, pool, pool noodle. Pill noodle. Well, it's, 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 it wor- the word comes out very quickly. It's pill. It's gone. Yeah. Pill. Oh, my name's Pill Noodle. <laughs> and I'm an investigative journalist. Paul Noodle at your service. Paul Noodle. Mr. Paul Noodle. Wobbling my way <laughs> to a solution to your problem. With, uh, <laughs> He's a tall, thin man who struggles to stand uh, up. Uh, 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 Paul Noodle. <laughs> 
So there we are. That that can be. I don't know if we have a foley lined up, but that could be our foley for today. It could be the word bull. Just noodle. bull, noodle. Bull. Listeners at home, just have a go at saying bull noodle. Take a moment now in your living room. Turn to your nearest yes. and dearest and inform them. Bill Noodle. Bill Noodle. Do you think, do you think there's go. anybody who doesn't know what a pool noodle is? I, I, you know, is that something that only exists in England? Do Americans, are Americans, you know, having conducted, you know, deep qualitative research, we know that there are approximately mm. zero Americans listening to this podcast. But uh, yes, that is the other thing we found. I out. wonder if they have pool noodles in America. They're probably called they something like pool, pool foam tubes or something, because they're normally quite descriptive with their language, aren't they? Now the question is: Is it a swimming pool or is it a swimming bath? That because as a, as, a, as a wee lad, I always used to call them the swimming baths. Yes, they, well, my grandparents called them swimming baths. Mm. Uh, my parents called but, it swimming. But they were Romans, you see. So that's that's the difference, isn't it? Romans. <laughs> uh, come on, speed up, speed up. <laughs> yes, but I think it's a northern thing. I think I think possibly, ah, is possibly it? Even... my dear lady wife says pool. Pool Actually, rather, than, rather pool. than baths. Yeah, I think it might yes. be a northern thing. Perhaps. Probably, because we probably... used to go to Richmond swimming baths, and they were called swimming baths. Yes, and they were they were sort of of the old, sort of um, quite quite posh building variety, weren't they, the Richmond ones? Because I've been discovering uh, recently... Was no, it wasn't. It was, a, it was a horrible building. Oh, was it? Probably oh. built in the 80s, yeah. Oh, because I do remember, I've been discovering recently that there was a whole sort of fad in the, in the Victorian, late Victorian, early 20th century for... Um, you know, sort of beneficent business people building mm. really gorgeous, or, or even in fact the local communities themselves clubbing together and building these gorgeous swimming baths that were like, you know, palaces. Yeah, them in Harrogate. Yes, yes, it's a very Harrogate Where sort all the of best thing. people are born. Yeah. I'm just going to stop listening from pinging and ponging. You, you. And I, just, just to say, to bring this back onto the topic, mm, um, yes. you could probably read about this in a book. You probably could, yes. Yeah. Okay. Now carry on with what you're saying. So books. Yes. Now we should we should circle back to books. So, yes, books. Books were a very important part of my childhood. They they yeah, I it, you know it was one of the sort of first things I think that I would have said sort of was 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 a, a, an interest of my own that formed part of my personality. You know, when you're a kid and you just sort of do Ooh, okay. what what okay. parents give you to do, and you do what mm -hmm. school tells you to do. And you go where you're taken and you know and I, I think being somebody who enjoyed reading and read a lot was one of the first things I would have said this is like an identifiable thing that I can point to and say that's me that's not just what yes, I guess when you were asked to to list your interests reading would be on that list yes although actually I have a good story to kick us off with here which is which is definitely late 90s rather than early noughties but uh, which fits our, our bill of being a, a, a small podcast about the musings related to the late 90s and indeed early noughties. Indeed, late having case, reflected on the swimming baths and modern television and pool noodles, we can now we can now mm. return to our pool remit. Noodle. Pool noodle. Mm. And uh, in in the late 90s, when I was <laughs> a butt youngin'. A um, butt youngin'. <laughs> a butt youngin'. <laughs> I knew that was good. <laughs> Look out, the butt youngins are here. Get your pool noodles and attack. Pool noodles and attack them. Go for them. Paul, where are you? Anyway, yes. When I was a butt young, I and I was at Hordes school. of marauding butt youngins. I remember in in I was in reception, and the class was given the task of um, writing something based off a and and here's our first book, Biff, Chip, and Kipper. 
Oh, absolutely, yes. Yes, that was a book, wasn't it? Several books, in fact. And uh, and we had, you know, it was like you had to read the particular Biff Chip and Kipper book, and then go off and write your own version of it, or you know, if you were in the story, what would you, what would happen to you, or whatever, you know, yes. something like that. And I was still in reception, so I was only you know four or five, and I had an enormous, colossal meltdown over the fact that I didn't think I could read well enough to read this book and mm-hmm. do this task. And I, I can remember, it's one of the very few memories I have from reception that I remember standing in the middle of the classroom, bawling, you know, not just like having a bit of a sniffle, but like yeah. crying, yeah. looking at this huge Biff, Chip and Kipper book, you know, the ones they had that you could read at the front of the class. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And go, oh, well, they, they, kind of, they, they read them sideways so that everybody could look at them. Yes, exactly. They would stand yes. and sit next to the book with a ruler. Their ball is in my hat, <laughs> etc. <cetera. laughs> That classic storyline. <laughs> uh, so often the ball was in the hat. And we were like, how did it get there again? Yeah. My trousers are full of mushrooms. And there was <laughs> and there was never a comma, was there? It was always just dup, 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 full stop. Dup, 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 yes. full stop. Simple sentence, simple sentence. And uh, yeah, and, and so it, it became a bit of a family. I still theory. write like that. That's exactly how I write. But I just throw <laughs> random commas in at certain points just to break things up a bit. I went to the shops and went down the aisle and that's several commas in the world <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that was that was the, Sorry, the beginning Biff, of Biff. my reading career it was not very auspicious i, I was i was a, an anxious reader at an early age but i i do remember learning to read as you say it was a formative moment because it seemed this insurmountable hurdle to try and get over hmm but then actually you just read something and then you read something slightly more complicated and you read something slightly more complicated and eventually you can read anything. Mm. It's funny, isn't it? Cause I, I, I do remember certain details of being taught to read. Like I remember we had the sort of phonetic alphabet where there was, you know, you had to imitate an ant walking up your arm and go ah, 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 ant as you did it. And that sort of taught you the, the sound ah and, you know, so on. So I can remember yeah, GCSE level, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it was like in the public schools. Oh, where year we ten, were. wasn't it? I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, ah, ants climbing up my arm. Help! <laughs> it's a real one. Teacher, I'm for real this time. Good reading. <laughs> no help! I've been attacked by tiny ants. <laughs> exactly, but um, but yes, you just sort of get that. Wait, did did reading play a big part of your childhood? Were you were you a big reader, or did, were you too busy, you know, hitting things with sticks and being practical? I did hit things with sticks and was very practical, but it was based on my books. I've always had many, many, many books. So my parents gave me lots of books and actually loads and loads of non-fiction books, which was quite novel. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> was that a secret pun? You just trying to get that past me? <laughs> trying to get that on past you, just sneak it on past. Uh, no, it didn't work. No. Never mind. You booked me. Right, we'll move on. Um, I had loads of non-fiction books. Uh, I had uh, mostly books about railways and aeroplanes from World War Two, And if it was 10 minutes until tea time, and we were told to go and carry on playing in our rooms for 10 minutes, and I didn't quite have enough time to get some toys out and play around a bit, then I'd just pull a book off my shelf, lie on the floor, and, and read a book and, and memorise everything there is to know about a Lockheed v26 um fighter bomber or something yeah yeah I mean, it was definitely it was. A theme, just, i just knew everything in these books eventually it was just knowledge that got absorbed i have literally forgotten more about dinosaurs 
than most people would ever know. <laughs> there is there are certain topics, aren't there? That because I we used to go to the library and and get a lot of those sorts of books and and yeah, you know, th- there's just certain things. Yeah, trains, um, mm-hmm. dinosaurs, planes. I went I went through a planes phase. You know, I had like a mm-hmm. book of military planes and that kind of thing. And and yeah, you just I I remember being in like year three, year two, year two even. And and I don't know whether you had this, but like every term we would have you know we did like english and math and all that sort of stuff but then there would be what was called topic um Mm -hmm. which was like something that wasn't one of the main stem subjects that you would do and it would change it was the other ones aren't topics are they well that's the thing you look back at it i never questioned that but such an odd thing to call it topic we we never had this but i do remember you you told me about this before carry on yeah and uh, it was usually history basically it was normally a different period of history and i always right okay and history was not considered a subject well i know it's strange isn't it but we kind of anyway dotted around you know we did vikings we did tudors we did egyptians and i wanted it to be dinosaurs i always wanted it to be dinosaurs and it never was so i must have been reading these books about dinosaurs when i was pretty young and yeah there was a lot of like yeah. you know latin nomenclature and all that sort of thing and yeah the stuff you just you just well they, they, that's it isn't it that's the first thing you learn that tyrannosaurus rex means tyrant's lizard king and you go <laughs> oh actually what i've learned there is latin yeah some etymology <laughs> there some serious serious facts it's on the third declension of the second clause of the, yeah, whatever it is isn't it in latin but i remember once reading a really good quote from um Stephen Fry, who's, who said that, you know, he's sort of famous for being very clever and knowing a lot of things. And he says, you know, people... Which is people, a good thing to be famous for. It is. Not only being clever, sounding clever. Yes, yes. <laughs> and speaking about things cleverly. But in a way that excites people, which I suppose is one of the things, you know, he, he, he he's very knowledgeable but does it in a way that gets people involved. And he said, like, people would say to me, how do you know so much? I could never do that. I could never learn the things you learn. I said, but these same people who say that will know you know, every last middle name of every last relative of anyone who's ever played for their football club because they exactly. care, because they care about it. And it's it's just things you care about, you learn about. And, and it is amazing how small kids, when they care about something, you know, whether it's dinosaurs or, you know, whatever, will learn they can dive all the facts. Into, yeah, yeah. But I think that gets lost in, in the mix of uh, teenage... Ugh. <laughs> well it's not cool to, to know things when you're a teenager you mean it's not cool to know things when you're a teenager knowing every single detail about a dinosaur suddenly doesn't become very important no you do you do sort of go through a sort of five six year period where all the stuff that's cool as a kid is desperately uncool and then the joyous thing is when you turn about 18 it's all cool again and you can go back to it's having all fun cool again i think I, I did more fx models when i was 18 than i did prior to that <laughs> We need to steer away from FX. We're <laughs> back around to FX again. Always, <laughs> always land on FX again. But book related, I still have in a folder all of the instruction booklets. Oh, just in case you ever dismantle the them. That I've made. Well, they all have that beautiful little bit at the top telling you about the history of the airplane, That's which counts as reading, That's true. and therefore is relevant to this. There you go. You are reading the instruction booklet. Oh, well, I yeah, I mean, I definitely did read read nonfiction books, but I think for me it was the it was fiction more was was my thing um and i i was sort of you know thinking uh, for this podcast you know what sort of books really stand out from my childhood and i think the one that probably was the kind of the moment where I, that thing i said about you know i'm somebody who reads a lot sort of became and obviously mm. i then went on to study english later on so it kind of stayed part of my my personality was um did you used to have ooh, what were they called the scholastic 
um, book catalogues that would come round. No. Oh, it was the most exciting thing. So they would bring, every, I think it was probably termly, you would come in after lunch and on your desk there would be this little catalogue, colour colour catalogue right. um, of books and they were all educational in some regard or they were they were fiction but you know sort of good fiction um and you took it home went through it with your parents they said you can have this this and this you filled in the form at the back cut it out took it to school gave it to the teacher and then forgot about it and as a child the intervening time then was a lifetime i mean it was probably only about three weeks around 45 years was it (laughs) It felt like that exactly you You'd give it in, and there's this great sense of yearning for the day, one one day in the future when you had grandchildren, when this thing would come back. But you know, it probably was about three or four weeks. But anyway, and then at the end of term, it was always at the end of term in the last week. Again, one day you'd come in from lunch, and there at the front of the class, there would be this sea of bright, brightly coloured plastic bags full of books oh. from this company, oh. and and then they would go around and hand them out, and you'd get your get your new books. And that was just the most exciting thing. I always remember the feeling of absolute, oh my gosh, look, they're here. And one of the times we, that we did this, the book that I got was um, a book called Martin the Warrior, which was one of the series called Red Wall by a man called Brian Jacks, or Jakes, or yeah. Jack, or however you pronounce it. He was Liverpoolian, so probably not Jack. Um, <laughs> in fact, he used to do a, an hour, he used to do a, a show on Radio Merseyside, and my gran had some sort of connection to Radio Merseyside, and I so I wrote to him and and didn't get a response in the accent come on <laughs> radio mazy side brian jacks works for radio mazy side um and uh yeah and then the series was about a, a, an abbey called redwall um yeah. which it was interesting that it was an abbey because there was never any mention of it having any sort of religious function they just sort of more of a commune really these animals just sort of lived there but there was friars and abbots and abbesses and that um and they all lived there is this a world where the animals are are the humans essentially? Yeah, they all wore well clothes and had tables and chairs and all that. It was so it wasn't a human abbey that was now inhabited by animals. No, it was an animals abbey. There were no humans in the, in the world okay. in, in the universe, and so they lived there. And then there was this whole, you know, it was like a little kind of Lord of the Rings style fantasy universe. There was, you know, the the, the badger um, castle over in a, an old volcano on the by the coast, and that was called Salamanderstron, which is a cool word. And oh, that's a fantastic name. Yeah. And in every book, there was some heinous villain who would try to take over the world you know would would, would lay siege to red wall very often and and they were just brilliant books they they the stories he told were so complex and deep and and the characterization was great and and it was this huge kind of legendarium within its own right and so martin the warrior was the founder of red wall and you you found out how he founded it and then you followed his descendants through a long period of history you know by the end of the series martin the warrior was this like epic historical legendary figure that, that oh wow you know, how brave to, to to travel that far down the time yeah it was really really great and and he wrote tons of them and i remember i i got to the point of reading like one a week and they were quite long and this was back when my parents had no brass and so they were a bit like can you please stop reading quite so fast <laughs> um but yeah i absolutely loved those i was obsessed with them joined the fan club i still have my i am a red wall reader bookmark that's still the bookmark i use oh um, oh. they were just great they were if you if you haven't read them and you're looking for some sort of fairly light reading now as an adult but they're still quite hefty they're still sort of 300 pages or whatever they are they're rather wonderful oh fantastic 
that bring, that brings me on to a, another series talking about reading them at such speed mm. that I started reading by not reading by listening. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Bought as an obscure an obscure present by um, I think it was a, an uncle or a great uncle. We were we were gifted. I think it was Ben's birthday present actually. Um, an audio book of Guards Guards. <gasps> yes. And. It sat on a shelf for many years unlistened to because we thought, well, that was a weird present. We don't want a book on a, on a CD. It sounds awful. <laughs> Until one day we decided to listen to it. And from within came the most fantastic world. And I mean that in every sense of the word fantastic. Yeah. Of the disc world. Which is? From the mind of the late Terry Pratchett. It was just fantastic. And it was read by Tony Robinson. Oh yes. Who at the point at the point that I listened to it, I only knew him from Time Team. Time <laughs> I hadn't team. watched Blackadder at this point. So for me it was listening to it like, oh this guy from Time Team's quite funny. Yes. <laughs> oh, I was no the same. idea whatsoever that he was in anything else. Presumably because Blackadder was a bit too grown up for us at that point in Time Ooh. Team. But we we used to watch Time Team and all it all it was was hairy men digging up a field. I don't know why. It's still I, I think that. it's still happening. I think there Is are it? still new series of Time Team, yeah. With Tony Robinson. With Tony Robinson, who's now very grumpy. Is he? He's not. He's really not fun in Time Team. No. <laughs> he just walks around going, why haven't you found anything? <laughs> oh, this place is rubbish. <laughs> That's a terrible drawing. <laughs> Where are the Romans? <laughs> Damn it. Where are the Romans? Where were they? Oh. You told me there was a house over here. Why didn't you there leave your coins? There's a big pile of dirt. Why are we in a field? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we just put Tony in this field to dig because he's so annoying. We don't want him bothering the rest of us when we look for things elsewhere. He's got a plastic spade and bucket. Yeah, just like, there's nothing here. It's just I found worms. a wall. Yes, it's a wall. <laughs> Who cares? I've seen millions of them. I always like that bit. Always underground? I always like that bit on Time Team where they'd be like, they'd find like a brick. And they'd be like, from this brick, we can reconstruct what this whole place would have looked like. There'd be like a digital reconstruction of like a whole fort. And you're like, wow, that's impressive. How do they know that from that brick? Yes, the, the wall kind of extends up. And, they're, and we're probably part of a house. Here's the house. And it has three floors and a roof. And that roof is probably connected to this aqueduct that's next door. <laughs> exactly. And this you know, nuclear power station. I reckon they probably had. A Roman amphitheater. <laughs> that was probably just over the hill, probably. Who knows? Could be. Probably. There's a hill over there. So it could be over the hill. That seems reasonable. Exactly. Yeah, yes, Tony anyway, Robinson. Yeah, this world. Tony La Robinson um, and his reading was just fantastic because he had all these silly voices. And I don't know if this was necessarily the start of my enjoyment of silly voices, but he had silly voices for all the characters. And of course, all the characters are fantastic names. So Ca Captain Vines, the leader of the Night Watch, um, who was not the main character in Guards Guards, but is sort of the main character in Guards Guards. Yeah, he wasn't supposed. Um, to, it was supposed to be Carrot, wasn't it? It was supposed to be Captain Carrot. Carrot was meant to be the main character, but Carrot has so little about him for most of the book. Because he's just a normal um, hero, a very, isn't he? Because he's just a normal bloke who happens to be the king, but never is. Mm. <laughs> he's a very good foil for all the other. I mean, it's like it's like um, Ernie Wise, isn't it? You you need a straight man for all the all yes. the weird characters, but oh, that's very true. But he's a bit weird, though. Anyway, um, he had a perfectly normal voice. And then Carrot had a very kind of, hello, my name's Carrot kind of voice. Wait, Vimes, then, Vimes just had a normal voice. Vimes didn't have any kind of, I was... Well, Vimes was a slightly serious version of Tony Robinson. That's interesting. I always, I feel like Vimes, it's Vimes, by the way, not Vimes. Vimes. Vimes, Vimes. with a m. Um, I always feel like he should sound, I don't know, like world-weary and sort of le leathery and weather-beaten yeah. and... 
I think I think that was fair. He's also he's not like a big strong bloke either. He's just a very normal person who's just been in the job slightly too long. Have you seen the uh, art, the Art of the Discworld book? Yes. I really yes, I really like the way Paul Kidby draws vines. They're pretty close. The only one I think he gets wrong is it is it Erin? What's the dragon called? Errol. Errol. Something like that. Errol. Anyway. Yeah. Errol. With the big the big nose. They give yeah, them. it's just it's too much. It's too much. It's quite cartoony, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, but yes, no Discworld. Anyway, so Robert's yeah, Discworld. stealing voices, and um, was there one called Nobby? Yes, Nobby Nobs and Sergeant Colon. Nobby and Sergeant Colon. That's it. Nobby Nobs and Sergeant Colon. Nobby Nobs. The best lines. It's when they're just talking to each other and they're either completely drunk at the end of a night or something. And there's a line where he goes, "Sir, there's a dragon on the roof." <laughs> <laughs> and that line is just amazing. Yeah, it's. <laughs> It's so good, isn't it? I find it so fascinating with Discworld how it's like it's so loved, and there's, I mean, there's so many podcasts about Discworld. I I looked for, I was like, oh, I wonder if there's a Discworld podcast I could listen to, and there's like fifty, and it, it's very yes. hard to pick which one you want to listen to. Um, and there've been multiple attempts to turn it into films and TV shows and all sorts, and it never ever works in the same way that no film not written by Douglas Adams has ever done justice to Hitchhiker's Guide. No, because I think it, it's the sort of story that belongs in a child's imagination. But it's not even that, I think, because they're not really children's books, although they are good for children, but it's that Pratchett's... It's all in his words. Like, yes. the, the wit and the perception and the humour and the kind of... It's the way he makes you go, oh, that's clever. Like, I didn't see that co- that's oh yeah it's not the story that makes you do that it's because his stories are basically they're always a bit boring really his stories are like there's a giant malevolent force somewhere they can't put their finger on it and then suddenly it emerges and it's from the dungeon dimensions and it's going to destroy the world and there's like a climactic battle and that's that stories are everything's like, fine yeah but the it's the yeah. the words and the dialogue and and all all the characters are exaggerated but often they're kind of they all seem to be slightly annoyed that they're in the story that they're in. <laughs> yes. Which is such a lovely twist because none of them are overly dramatic. They're all kind of like, ah, this is happening again. Yes. <laughs> Which, if you put characters in a magical world with dragons and magic, of course they're going to be slightly worn out by now. Yes. <laughs> none of them are going to go, magic! They're going to be going, ah, magic. Yes. And uh, they are, and that's funny. It's interesting because it connects to, I've been listening to... Um, a podcast about the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, which we'll get onto shortly, probably. But one of the points that they've been making about the Hobbit that's so that makes it so like um, engaging and makes it so so powerful, and particularly for kids, because I, I don't know if you've read Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. I've, the Hobbit was how I got into Lord of the Rings. I think which I think is we the way read most the Hobbit kids. at school. Oh, that's brilliant, um, which is a good place to start. And they say, but basically, the point is, you know, Bilbo is super relatable like Bilbo is what you or I would be like if we were sent on an adventure you'd be constantly thinking I want my sofa like <laughs> I want to go home yeah. and yeah exactly yeah that's and so it make, makes the world inhabitable because you can put yourself in his shoes and it's yes you're not sort of dealing with these weird cardboard cutout heroes who don't really behave like people and I guess it's the same thing with Discworld Rincewind is a coward Vimes is world weary the witches are terribly unimpressed with everything the wizards are fat and feckless and yeah, it's very peopley people. The, the patrician is very cold and calculating. Yes, and the only yeah. sort of hero characters. Whenever you come across a, a hero, 
with a capital H, they're always an idiot. That everyone else is like, yes. oh, would you stop it? <laughs> <laughs> which, which is just, as you say, is beautifully relatable. And so you read it and you are utterly immersed in the story because none of the characters do things you'd expect characters not to do. Mm. I know, I know, it's sort of a bit of a, a passe thing to say, like Pratchett is the inverted commas cult author that people love to say shouldn't be cult he should be you know one of the pantheon of great writers but it's so true like the fact that he writes fantasy means that he has quite some sort of a niche following but his writing is and and the way he sees the world and the way he presents the world back to you through fantasy is amazing i mean he if there's any justice in many hundreds of years he'll still be being read by people and appreciated because it's his I'm work sure is so will. good i'm sure it will it will be on the shelf next to lord of the rings yeah like, did you enjoy Lord of the Rings? Well, here's a slightly silly thing. <laughs> exactly. It's funny though, because I, you know, whenever I read Pratchett, I kind of go, "Oh, that was so good," and I, I, it always puts me in the mood to read more fantasy. And I go and try and find more fantasy. And with the exception of Pratchett and Tolkien, I'm really yet to find any fantasy writers who are anywhere near as good and immersive and make you want to stay in the world. Most of the time, you're very aware you're you're reading someone who is making something up. Whereas with Pratchett Lewis and Tolkien. Carroll. That's not fantasy. That's a that's a LSD trip. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't. I have to say I haven't read all of Lord of the Rings. <gasps> I know that Iona was uh, force force. She force read it before she was allowed to see the films, which I think was rather probably a good idea. Who by her parents? Her parents. Yeah. That's that's good parenting. Which is quite good parenting. I did read Harry Potter. Did you read the Harry Potter? Oh yeah, yeah. Did you did you enjoy it? Were you were you a massive Potter nerd like people were? Or yeah, we went we went to see. I was quite young when the first book came out, but we read it. And by we read it, I mean my dad read it to us as our bedtime story. Because mm. we were very young when it came out. I can't because it was the yeah it came out uh, in like ninety five ninety six or something. In the late nineties, yeah, exactly. it's a very late nineties and early nineties sort of series. Um, and then the film came out and we went to see the film and I remember there being the, there was a bit in the book which had terrified me and so I hadn't listened to that bit and when that bit came up in the film it terrified me enough that my mum took me into the foyer oh. for 10 minutes and then we came back in oh, and it was I feel fine. that pain which, which bit was that? Was it the troll or was it Voldemort's face? No, it was it was in the dark woods. Oh, the unicorn blood Yes Unicorn blood. That is pretty creepy. Carrying over the top of him and drinking it. It was too much for me as a a butt (laughs) youngin. I definitely feel that pain. I I, I must have told you my Star Wars story, brief tangent, but um, I went to see Star Wars Episode 2, the Phantom, not the Phantom, the Attack of the Clones, for my seventh, Mm. seventh birthday in the cinema. And the scene where the bounty hunter gets shot um, and then like transforms into an alien. Absolutely oh, yeah. scared the flipping <laughs> absolutely everything out of me. I I didn't sleep properly for months after that. Those three frames or whatever. Yeah, it is. it's not a very long shot, is it? And I, I still, I mean, you know, obviously got over it now, but I, I, it, it haunted me for years. I mean, like I couldn't go to the cinema without like sweating because I was like, what if something like that happens again and I get that scared again? And any Isn't film, it odd what? terrifies children well that's it because i i because you, you want you don't want to be desensitized to these things you don't want to just go oh that's not scary that's fine but it is odd things because mm. mm. because the thing with that was it wasn't the fact that she'd been shot that bothered me in the slightest it was the it was a sort of unexpected almost unexplained 
nature of the fact that she suddenly went from being this normal looking woman to this like frog alien creature mm. and and it i think combined with the fact that she was dying as it happened it sort of seemed like she was in pain but it was distressing it was yeah i don't know why but it got right into my brain in a way that i couldn't dislodge and 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 i, I you know i couldn't that's explain why the prequels are terrible isn't it that's, that's the reason <laughs> yeah, exactly that one shot you take that shot out i mean that should have been in you know the director's cut or whatever and they would have been fine the whole series suddenly makes sense exactly that's that's the what that's why i was so upset because i was like this has ruined the perfect narrative ruined star wars <laughs> That first film, perfection. Second film, up until that point, perfect. And then I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. That's yeah. It. the speeder race. I was all just yeah. Now this is pod racing. Now this is pod racing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I definitely feel your pain. But yes, no. Harry Potter was. Did you do the? Did you go to any you know midnight release party things? No, we were never quite that mad. Mm. But we must have seen it, the first film when it came out in the cinema pretty sharpish because we did not go to the cinema as a family mm. i think this was the only time i can remember where we went to the cinema wow so harry potter must have been quite like you know you guys must, must have been, have been quite been. quite obsessed with <laughs> we it were quite small but we obviously were sufficiently i mean the best thing about it was that there was a steam train on the front cover of the book yes um yes the smoke box was the wrong color <laughs> yes it didn't really look like uh, <laughs> any any sort of actual locomotive which was there it's a magic when train the film came out and it was a what was it a manor class or was it a castle class uh great western oh locomotive. yes almost, I was like, you know certainly. i'm back in i'm back into this storyline this is good but it was an interesting it was they were good books i knew people though who weren't allowed to read them because it was all about witches and wizards well i was going to say yeah it's it's you know we're both christians we have a lot of christian friends and um that it is it's, it is one of those things you know harry potter obviously for our generation was just everywhere when we were kids and mm. for a lot of the people that we're friends with there is always that question when it comes up of like were you allowed to read it and it, it i mean most of them were but it is an interesting thing i mean my my mum read them before we read them to sort of check it because there was this like furore going on of like it's encouraging kids into witchcraft or whatever and I mean, clearly yeah. it's patent nonsense. Like, it has, you know, nothing at all to do with... Uh, completely, yes. But, um, but no, you're right. That, that, there was that kind of element about it, wasn't there? And um... I quite like... I think they're quite good stories. I, I like the first three books. And actually, I think the first three films were very good. Mm. And then it just got a bit dark and miserable after that. Yeah, I mean, I have to say Goblet of Fire is my favourite. I, I think the story in the Goblet Fav of Fire... It's my favourite book, and it's my second favourite film. Which is your favourite film? I love Chamber of Secrets. Ah, uh, really? I think Azkaban is probably my favourite film. As a film. film, I think that's really good. I think The Prisoner of Azkaban, as a film, is like stylistically really beautiful. It's it's suspenseful without being sort of, you know, it doesn't have that kind of dire feel that the, the later ones do. Um, it has a good feel of this is happening over a school year, mm, mm. The Prisoner of Azkaban. The pacing is very good, actually. And you're very right. There was that kind of ma massive tonal shift after Voldemort Returns, where it's, which it obviously needed. You couldn't have just seven books where they like beat him every single year without fail. But like, <laughs> that would be <laughs> exactly. The... Term three. Oh, I've got to beat Voldemort. Here we again. go again. Go back in your box. Voldemort. They. They. Yes, but I. I, I particularly. Um, 
uh, Order of the Phoenix and Half Blood Prince, you do just kind of feel a bit like, oh, get on with it. Just Half Blood uh. Prince is a very sad film. Yes, it's just miserable. Yes, the whole film. You do just get to the point <laughs> you think because, of course, it's building up to the really big miserable ending, and then everything. But then there isn't ever that kind of real climb out into hooray, everything's fine. That there isn't that, and that never happens. Yeah, and it doesn't happen in the films either. <laughs> In the films, it's just everything's terrible. I'll throw his wand off a bridge. Now we're married, and that's the end of the. You're like, oh, that's that's how it ends. Uh, you're very oh, right. Okay. I mean, I also remember thinking that the the last book was good in the sense that you you knew it was the last book. You knew it was the climax. There was so many kind of loose ends to tie up, so much to discover, and it although it's very episodic, you know, it's very like they go for this Horcrux and this Horcrux and this Horcrux. It sort of didn't matter because. Yes you'd been following it for years and so it was yes you, know, you knew that was what was coming and you were fine that that but in the films coming. particularly hp7 part one i i just it really did feel HP like hp7 part one yeah <laughs> that's what it was called on the posters uh, <laughs> which is ridiculous but and it did just feel like they were taking a shopping list off and and, and it was like scene done next scene done and there was no kind of continuity mm-hmm. because they had to cut so much out to make it fit and yeah I, I, yeah, but it's 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 good. But you're right. The the wonder of the original ones, and I guess that's it, isn't it? Because when we were when we were young kids in the late nineties, early noughties, it was you you were sort of in a way experiencing that wonder of discovering the world at the same time that Harry was. You know, because the early films yes. and books are like wow. similar age. We were all similar. They're only a couple of years older. Yes, that's a cool thing. If I hadn't thought assume, about that. If we assume they start in kind of year seven, we were in kind of year five when the books came out. Yeah. Which is fun, isn't it? Because when yeah, when you think about it, it's it's because that's perfect. Because that's as far as you can see at that age. That's that's as yeah. far ahead as you can imagine. Is yeah. being two years older. <laughs> and I guess for for kids these days, kids these days, who who read them, read them, you can do a Netflix and binge all the books if you want to, and yeah. so you would jump from. It's also new, magical, and wonderful, and oh my gosh, Hogwarts! Wow, to. Dumbledore's dead in within a year. Yes, exactly. And Lou, I think that I think it completely loses it. But I am by no means suggesting that people spend a year between watching each film <laughs> or each book, or each or reading each book. Exactly. But it is without again without wishing to be. Oh, can't say it. it is probably an experience that. Well, it is an experience. Well, it's similar it's to, to when the age, Marvel Universe came out. Yeah, isn't it? it's when those films came out. We saw Iron Man, or you should, you played me Iron Man for the first time. Oh, yeah. I completely missed when it came out. You had it on DVD. We did. <coughs> and then we did. all the films came out. We did. Yes, we <laughs> oh, we did. Oh, it was so <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. Is that Diane Abbott? <laughs> Diane Abbott. Diane Abbott. So amazing. So amazing. So amazing. Thing is, so amazing. We should mention here, we're not just making fun of Diane Abbott, we are referencing... Which programme is it? This is... It's, um... It's Dead Ringers, isn't it? Dead Ringers. Dead Dead Ringers! Ringers. (laughs) Uh, That's one of my favourites. It's crazy every time. I've got a man who thinks he's a woman. (laughs) An artichoke made entirely of cheese. And, and Diane Abbott! Diane Abbott! <laughs> <laughs> Diane Abbott. Uh, so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so 
He can do no one. <laughs> no one. <laughs> so. I, I, the thing is, I, I listened to that and I thought that is hilarious. That's a brilliant. That's very, very amusing. Having never heard Diana yes. speak in my life. And then go and find an interview of her to go, you know, how close is. It's perfect. Every It's exactly how she speaks. <laughs> I had the reverse experience of that the other day because one of the other people they quite often make fun of is Cressida Dick. And I thought Cressida Dick sounded like Quathoda Dick of the Metropolitan Police Service. Like that. Quathoda. Like yeah. And she doesn't. We listen to her Desert Island discs and she's just like, hello, I'm Cressida Dick. And you're like, well, that's disappointing. I thought you spoke like a weirdo. <laughs> It must be quite disappointing if your if your whole program is on impressions of people and you've got to kind of caricature them and they sound perfectly normal. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to do something. Of course, the other great gift. I feel like Keir Starmer sounds fairly normal. Yeah, yeah. But his impression is very funny. It's quite difficult to to impersonate him, really, isn't it? He's he's just a bit he's a bit of a suit, isn't sounds he? Like a bloke. I mean, yeah. I'll take a suit over a maniac any day, but I was going to mm. say yes. That is, of course, the other the other great thing Dead Ringers has given the world is far. which again he doesn't sound like that that's not what he sounds like but it does sound like boris it does (laughs) 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 cameron had his bikes turning still didn't get on a bus (laughs) 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 back to the subject what were we talking parry hotter back to the studio parry hotter and the foblet of gaia Gary Blotter. Gary Blotter. I tell you what, um, <laughs> this is slightly um, more blue than we normally go, but talking of different versions of names of people in books, one of the things my parents had, and this is a good segue onto The Lord of the Rings, um, was they had a national lampoon uh, lampoon of The Lord of the Rings on the shelf. We had a little book. Ah, you showed me this, but I never read it. Yes, well, and the thing was... I was massively into Lord of the Rings. That was one of my big things when I was when I was at primary school. And big I, things in the ring. Big things in the rings, exactly. And I saw on the shelf this thing that was it was called Board Board of the Rings. That's what it was called. And it was like a comic reworking of the Lord of the Rings. And I was like, ah, oh, I'll read that then. And mum and dad were like, um, no, no, dad, no, I don't, no, I don't think you should read that. And of course, once they'd said that, I was like, <laughs> I must read it. And so I kind of used to like sneak looks at it when they weren't around. And the reason uh, at the time I didn't know what this meant. So obviously I just, you know, it just sailed over my head. But the reason that they didn't want me to read it was because Bilbo Baggins in Board of the Rings is called Dildo Bugger. (laughs) 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 I was like, oh. Subtle, isn't it? It's a subtle difference. Uh, Yes. But uh, it changes the meaning slightly, I think. That's a fascinating example, isn't it? Of kids, when when you don't know the reference. It's not dirty, is it? Because it just goes phew, no. over your head, and you're like, oh, "What have you done, bugger?" They probably didn't. So want many me. things went phew over my head as a child, <laughs> and I'm glad. Wake up and smell the pheromone, Shrek. What's a pheromone, <laughs> Mom? Dad, what's a pheromone? <laughs> Aye, that's a big castle. Do you think he's compensating for, for something? something? <laughs> eh? Eh? <laughs> no, I have no idea what that means. Don't even know what the word. Exactly. Means. <laughs> I remember exactly I that exact question. I'm a nine-year-old mean? child. This film has just come out. <laughs> so true it's so true but yes i think they probably just didn't want me going to school and going dildo bugger but there we are yeah but what yes. happens to dildo bugger in the in the book i well i didn't read the whole thing because it was you know i had to, i could only do it in in quick quick sittings when there was nobody around oh i see so um but yeah lord of the rings man it was just a huge huge part of my childhood and i remember so yeah huge huge 
I I, re- I, li- I listened. This is another listen one. I listened to my dad had a, had an audio book of the Hobbit that he was listening to in the car. He used to drive around the country a lot in his job, and so he had audio books, and he was listening to the Hobbit. And I remember, I remember sitting in bed, listening to it on on big headphones attached to a Ghetto Blaster CD player, and um and and just staring for you know hours and hours and hours at the artwork on the cover of the of the thing, which was a picture of Smaug with the with the treasure hoard, and and it 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 just you know you, when there's no phone to pick up and look at at the same time you have nothing else to look at but the artwork and so you just sit there and it gets burned into your memory forever and i loved the hobbit and then then picked up the lord of the rings and i was just i was determined to read it and i i read it the whole of the lord of the rings in year five because i broke my ankle wow and i got a glorious three or four weeks of not having to go out to play which as a nerdy yeah. you know child as we've previously covered was like absolute gift from heaven and i spent all my lunch times and, and break times reading lord of the rings in the cl- in the classroom and i was as happy as i possibly ever was at primary school it was great i am um, i have the audio book from i think it must be the 1980s of the lord of the rings the bbc audio on 13 cds in a great big case in a great big box in a great big thing two megabyte and cds just fantastic and i think the music for that is better than the music for the film oh, because i think because wow. i listened to it first and it is just superb and the world of lord of the rings in my head is very different to the world in the films because uh, i imagined it all first and i think there is something lovely in that that's very interesting cause... it's a lot flatter that, that's how i describe it <laughs> it's a lot less climbing <laughs> <laughs> You've just pictured... and it looks a lot like it looks a lot like north yorkshire well I think that's, that's the thing isn't it i think Tolkien pretty sure rivendell probably... looks a bit like snape <laughs> <laughs> which is a town a couple more trees maybe it's just in the small village down a road i do think that's, that's how it's described in the books they go down a road and they end up in rivendell so i'm like well i know what that looks like yeah <laughs> I, I know exactly what you mean i mean I, I feel like tolkien probably thought the same I, you know i don't think tolkien was envisaging you know new zealand i, I and it, no. it's, it's definitely one of the things that makes the jackson film so good is that he made the lord of the rings feel sort of weighty and meaningful and and real and big because all the adaptations up until that point were like cutesy and sort of it's fantasy it's like elves and dwarves and goblins and yeah you know and yeah jackson made it feel like oh my gosh this is serious business (laughs) it's an entire world where the mountains are slightly bigger than they are in real life and yet this is real life (laughs) exactly so did you listen to it all the way through or did you just dip in and out on car journeys and that kind of listen listen to no um my dad uh, gave me the 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 whole set, oh. so I just listened to them on my little CD player in my bedroom. Oh. And they are just fantastic. They are just fantastic, and all the voice actors sound completely different to what they do in the films. And Aragorn sounds far more commanding, and he drives the story along. Yes, because he is sort of the main character in some readings. He's just he? a bit of a kind of I'm a kind of a bit of a wet guy, but <laughs> I'm probably quite important. But you don't really know that yet. Yeah. <laughs> and you just get... Whereas in the books, he's like, we are going this way now. <laughs> <laughs> no brooding just perfect. and everyone's like okay let's follow him he's great <laughs> the, the hobbits are a bit, a bit like a bit like garden gnomes in this adaptation yes they are in every other adaptation apart from the jackson films which is now obviously totally set the you know for all future readings but they're just small unimportant things yeah in the books uh, and then the industrial revolution happens at the end yes <laughs> yes that, they did miss that out in the films i love that bit because it's like, and the story's over. We've gone home now. Oh no, it's now a factory. <laughs> it's, which <laughs> it's is, like, it's very like 
you know, social commentary, isn't it? It's very... Whereas in the films, he just... Saruman just uh, just hangs out in his tower for a bit. Powerful wizard. He can't leave because of the trees. You think, no, he, of course he could leave. He's perfectly capable of leaving. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to get into it, but actually, Saruman's power gets gets reduced because he surrenders his purpose on middle earth which is to help defeat evil and when he starts to be evil his power wanes and gandalf comes back as gandalf the white as the most powerful oh, that's wizard. true he does usurp him and quite right. so so no quite but, right. and it, but in the books he does go and start a factory <laughs> <laughs> in baggage <laughs> uh, he's just trying to have a bit of edinburgh woman mill and no the, the hobbits are like no Saruman, you can't I, even is that your idea you've got <laughs> I've got this dirty Victorian <laughs> factory full of you know sad-looking children. You have Edinburgh woolen mills, making shawls and picnic blankets. Saruman's picnic blankets makes delightful picnic baskets. <laughs> Grima worm tongue weave, absolutely. <laughs> And, and, you know, she's yes. trying to provide Worm gainful employment me. to the lazy hobbits of the Shire. She's trying to, you know, bring them up to date, these Amish hobbits and, and incomes. This the... is what you need to write. You need to put your literacy skills. The, the Hobbit. No, no, sorry. Lord of the Rings from Saruman's perspective. <laughs> well, I mean, you know. He's just an entrepreneur. Exactly. He's trying to branch out. He's trying to make his way in the world. world. He's just trying to make some change. And everyone's He's slapping from him down. That's fine. Saruman. <laughs> Saruman and Saruman. Hello, my name's Saruman. But I mean, this is what this is what Disney's doing these days, isn't it? Every every other Disney film these days is like you thought they were the villain, but actually they were just misunderstood. Ba, ba, ba. Oh, and you're like, I don't care. That wasn't the point of them in the story. You could do any but story. I like Lord of the Rings. That is my summation. That's very that's, yes, yes, very good. Is good. I we won't go on about this forever, but I do still. Uh, one of the things I love about Lord of the Rings is the the just the mind-boggling depth and reality of the world that he built. You know the fact mm-hmm. that the language functions and the history functions, and that that you you always have that sense when you read about Lord of the Rings that you could be reading about something that that, that really happened in 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 the, in the real world because yeah. it's so detailed and some ancient historical yeah. Things that somehow fits in and and i i you know again podcast listening to a podcast about it and this particular podcast currently has something in the right region of 250 episodes each of which is over an hour long discussing the world and they don't retread ground it's each hour's long episode is on a different chapter of a different one of his works and it just boggles my mind that one human being's squishy thing between their ears could could do that (laughs) you know it's like before tolkien existed there was no middle earth and none of that stuff and he existed and then millions upon millions of people it did take him a fair old while it did but it was one person and i i'm in awe of that it's just incredible because yes he wrote a few languages yeah and it all makes sense that's the bizarre thing there is no kind of oh well that doesn't quite how why do they do no, no, there isn't actually an answer for pretty much everything. Yeah. Why didn't the eagles just carry it? Well, here's a perfect explanation explaining where the exactly. eagles rank in terms of power levels and why they wouldn't really want to yeah. take it. And you can always find the answer. You never have to just, it's never just, well, because he wrote it that way. So, yeah, it, it's it's truly incredible. And I guess it's because he was a very, very serious academic who just happened to turn his, his intellectual powers to writing fiction. 
Um, and he wore tweed. I think I think we can't <laughs> understate the value of uh, a tweed-wearing author. That's very true. If you wear tweed, you're probably going to write quality, quality stuff. Exactly. That, that's clearly the case. Other books I read, I think, when I was a bit younger, yes. but equally on that, it, any sort of adventure book. Now, they were always kind of marketed because these were kind of books from the 60s and 70s, adventure book for boys kind of thing, mm. which I heartily disagree with in terms of a, an approach. But that's what they were. That's how they were written. And so they, they were always most well, they were mostly always boys. There was maybe a girl in the group. Mm. But Biggles was brilliant. Have you actually ever read a Biggles book? I remember getting a Biggles book from the library and being disappointed at how old world the language was and didn't persevere. But I wanted to like Biggles. So tell me about why Biggles is so great. Biggles is brilliant. I have all of my Biggles books and I have eight more Biggles books that I've bought as an adult. Well done. Because they, um, I think in the late 90s and early noughties, they re-released a bunch of Biggles books as four books in a book. Right. So you've got these great big thick kind of... Um, Compendia. Know, collection of books in a book. Um, li- what would you call a, book, a set of books in a book? A treasury, a, word a treasury, or a or an, a compendium, or a um, anthology, or there is a word for it. An anthology. Let's go with that. Or you um, could combine them in an anthologum. An anthologum. Anthodium is a good word. Sorry, go on. Uh, let's go with that. It's a new word. Anthodium of books. Yes. Um, four books in a book. And it was pretty, the stories always followed this. The, Again, it goes over a lot of time. He starts off as a pilot in World War One, in what was not called the RAF at that point, the Royal Flying Corps. The RFC. Um, Rugby Football the Club. RFC. RFC. Um, and it's his exploits as a pilot, and he flies over the trenches and throws things at Germans, and that's sort of what he does. And Cuts the pie. A, uh, but then he, he goes off on these adventures, and then there's all the books in the interwar years, and it names the type of aeroplanes that he flies and has details relating to the story about the aeroplane saying oh we had to strength you know re-tighten up the flying wire on this bit and i knew which bit that was because i'd read a book about the aeroplane and then every every chapter had one picture and it was this beautiful um just a black and white drawing of some scene from that chapter with like a sentence underneath it quoting what was happening in the picture from earlier in the story like Biggles surprised because there was a snake. (laughs) (laughs) It's got this picture of a snake. And it's always the most obvious picture you could possibly imagine. Here he is next to a tree. Oh, there's a snake in front of him. (laughs) It's like, it doesn't really add anything at all. (laughs) But you get to the picture and you're like, oh, I've been rewarded with this picture that I'd already imagined three chapters ago. That's such a thing. I'd kind of forgotten about how key that was when you were a kid. Like, it mattered. What level of pictures does this book have like how how much dedication am i being asked to bring to this because if it had no pictures yeah. it was like whoa this is a grown-up I'm book out, i'm out too much too far and if it was lots of pictures then you're like well there's no point because it's gonna take me half an hour to read this but what would, oh i mean can i can't but can you remember what the first book without pictures you read was without pictures mm. well i would say biggles probably comes into that but that's but it did mm, as i say it had a picture every chapter but no pictures so. at all no picture i I'm, I'm trying to think i think it was probably either pratchett or more likely Anthony horowitz 
Oh, yes. Probably. No, you're right. I was going to say Hitchhiker's Guide. That was a whole... Or Alex Ryder. Alex Ryder, yes. Who wrote, who wrote those? Did he write those as well? Anthony Horowitz. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Anthony Horowitz. That's a good segue because they were marvellous books. Brilliant. Alex Ryder. Marvellous books. Marvelous. Because it was... it was Because I'd seen some James Bond films before then. Um, The older ones, obviously. Um, And they were brilliant. And then here's Alex Ryder a school kid who's also James Bond at the same time and you're like oh this is so cool it was so brilliant and the <laughs> stories were so inventive I, I so yes yeah, so anyone who hasn't read it he's a 14 year old whose uncle or father was a spy and gets killed and his dead dad was a spy that's it father and or was his oh and his, his no no I think, you're, I think his dad dies and his, his uncle... father's dead but his uncle was a spy who also gets killed and I think that's his in no but isn't it that his uncle is his guardian. I can't. Remember. Anyway, that's not important. Point is, something like MI6 recruit him in an implausible series of events. And yes, which have serious safeguarding concerns. <laughs> yeah. uh, you can tell. We ignore that. It's the late nineties, early nineties. Child safety. What's that? And um, yeah, and the stories were so inventive, weren't they? Because the first one was like he was fighting a, a maniacal supervillain who had a like dates it, it who had a, a computer virus that was going to like destroy the world Stormbreaker because that was a new word that just uh, came out yeah, yeah. everyone's like Ooh. oh they made that into a film they did and I was really disappointed they didn't make any others I was very disappointed and then, it, it mostly followed the book I seem to remember yeah broadly it, it did rather change the ending because one of the things that really sticks in my brain from that one is that one of the sort of um, you know classic Bond villain elements of the villain in that one was that he had a Portuguese man of war in a fish tank and the way that his accomplice died in that one was Alex smashed the glass and the man of war like flies out and lands on and like kills her she's just like which is grim but that wasn't in the film but the second one was my favorite one was called point blank blank spelt like Mont Blanc B-L-A-N-C yes and it was a like um um there was a school at the top of a mountain. School at the top of a mountain, that was it. Led by... For all the richest villains in the world's children. Yes. <laughs> Doctor... He was called Doctor Grief or something, wasn't he? Something brilliant it like that. It was something, yes. It was an obviously evil name. Yeah, and then he had his his <laughs> accomplice, who was also a woman, was called Mrs. Stellenbosch, I remember. Yeah. Who could like bend nine bars with her arms. And... Who was an Austrian weightlifter or something along those lines, I think. That was right, yes. And the... At South African, I think. And uh, oh, so, uh, so, yeah. had Stellenbosch, and the thing was, he was going to, he was cloning, wasn't he? The the or no, not clone. He was, he was kidnapping the kids of the richest people in the world, the most powerful people in the world, and then creating copies stealing of their them, faces. stealing their yeah. faces, using plastic surgery, and creating copies and sending them back to their parents. And then he was going to like take over the world. They were spies. They were spies. Yeah. Bah, 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 bah. And there was lots of like skiing and lots of like espionage. I remember lots of skiing. I, I I never fully understood the layout of this school on a mountain. Yes, was, the very <laughs> didn't top make of a mountain. Any sense to me. I was like I was like picture on the front of the book is of a mountain, and then it's a school. <laughs> <laughs> How <laughs> I don't know. Were you trying to envisage like Vidale Primary School at the top of a hill? <laughs> Literally plonked on the top of Spike <laughs> of the most pointy mountain, and skiing happened. Ne- having never skied, I was like, okay, that seems logical. <laughs> What was the what was the Bond film where there is that exact thing? There's not a school, but there's like a, a lair at the very top of a very snowy mountain. Which one is that? And then there's all the there's all the women there, and there's the hypnotist villain. Is it is it the second Johnny English film? 
<laughs> you might be right, actually. It might be. <laughs> I think it's a Johnny English I... film you're referencing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, you're quite right. No, but there is a Bond film where that happens as well. I'm absolutely sure of Probably. it. Anyway, there's yes. an, there's a there's a there's a Second World War film as well where they're all at the top of a mountain, and it's a high security prison or something. I think as well. That has reminded me of another book. Eagles Lair is that it? Oh, where eagles dare. Where eagles dare? Where, e- where eagles lair? <laughs> where eagles lair? Where eagles stare? Dare. Lair. Dare eagles. <laughs> where, where eagles dare? Lair. <laughs> Don't stare. <laughs> Don't stare at the dare eagles in their lair. <laughs> Look at that flare. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, yes, my um, my dad didn't read really when he was a kid. Um, but he the one books he did the, the one series of books he did read was, and we have sort of already talked about this, but Action Man books, and. Uh, and we had we had yes. three action man books. We had the battle. Of, I think we have definitely talked about those. Battle for Monte Cassino, Hold the Bridge, and the last one, which had the best title, which was Snow, Ice, and Bullets. <laughs> da, da, da. Wah, wah, wah. You think this is a normal list of things? It is not. <laughs> bullets in it. <laughs> like subversion, though, expectations. <laughs> and the one thing I remember from those, apart from it, was like action man and GI Joe blow up an entire Nazi division. Was that it would always feature a segment where like. Action Man and G.I. Joe had been on the go for so long that they hadn't eaten for, for weeks. And at that point it was like, so they tightened their belts and carried on. And I was always like, does tightening your belt make you not hungry anymore? I'm really puzzled. <laughs> That's how it works. That's, just Squish squeeze and you'll be fine. <laughs> Presumably it's because they were getting thin. Rumble, rumble, rumble. Shh. No more. No more. Yes. I think it probably meant that they, their stomachs were literally smaller because they were empty. <laughs> and so their trousers were falling down. Exactly. I remembered another thing about Alex Ryder that really dates it as well, which is one of the books. Uh, I think it was the, I think it was the third one, which was called Skeleton Key. When in that one, the villain was had created a. Is that shark related? Yeah, there was shark. He he lived on a Cuban island and ha- had shark on the front of it. And his thing, I think it's this one, was he'd created a video game that. Oh, maybe this was. Eagle Strike was this one. But anyway, one of them. Ah, had... Yes, it, it was a shark on the book. That's why I think of sharks. Yes. He'd created a video game, and the video game uh, had what he called pain synthesis, which was basically he'd like. Mm, it was very realistic, yes. but the way he'd got the very realistic um, sort of, you know, reaction of the video game character to pain was he'd like actually made real people run a real gauntlet, and they and when they felt pain, he recorded it. And that's really interesting because I feel like at the time it was like, wow, imagine a video game where you can see the pain yeah, on VR, the character's face. It's, it's, and it's like, now that's, you know, <laughs> every video game has that. And it, that's, yeah, that dates it somewhat. So there was Eagle Strike. And then after Eagle Strike, there was Arcane, Archangel, I think. And then, let me see if I can remember them all. Ye- and there was Scorpio. Scorpio. Oh, his, his, the twelve books. Oh, I don't know if I ever read all twelve. That's a lot. Snakehead, and then I then I got too old for it, and that was the sad thing about it because we outgrew them, and and we couldn't. I didn't follow it to its conclusion, which was really sad. So I still don't know how his story ends. Yeah, I think I think you got yeah. So Stormbreaker, Point Pont Blanc, Skellington, 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 Eagle Strike, Scorpio, Archangel, Snakehead. Crocodile Tears, Scorpio Rising, Russian Roulette, Never Say Die. Oh, there's tons of them. The Secret Files. I think that last one is not necessarily oh, yeah. a story. Oh, so many. I, maybe, I, go but back I to think I, I only got to Scorpio. I don't, or maybe Archangel. I, I don't think I got much further. I got to Snakehead, but Snakehead was the one that I remember being like, 
I'm too old for this now. This isn't this isn't holding my attention in the way it used to. And Maybe thus we yeah. all grow up and leave the halcyon days of childhood behind. Yes. Another one I remember that is not related is um I had a brilliant <laughs> big so I say picture book, but it wasn't like mainly pictures, it was a novel that had massive pictures with it. So it was you know you know when you get a novel like they do with the Harry Potter ones where you can buy an illustrated an novel. illustrated novel, thank you. Um, by another chap you probably did read some of his books Michael Morpurgo did you read Michael Morpurgo I know the name I can't remember a book what did he write he wrote like Private Private Perfect Private Perfect what was it called Pri- the, the one about the war and he wrote tons of stuff The Record of Zanzibar and um, oh, I can't remember anyway but this was a Robin Hood the story of Robin Hood and and it was really good because it, it was it was quite a like different take on Robin Hood so the main thing that sticks out in my memory is that Maid Marian in Michael Morpurgo's Robin Hood um, was the bloke called Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> that was a surprise, I can tell you. <laughs> Poor Robin. And uh, but no, she was the leader oh, of the of the the what do you call them? What are they called? The Merry Men. Um, because they were a group of outcasts who'd been thrown out of society because um, she was an albino. And and oh, wow. and there were these really beautiful paintings, watercolor paintings, all the way throughout the book. And, and I just remember there was this really sort of vivid painting of her standing in the mouth of a cave, which is where Robin was hiding in his first sight of her, and with you know white hair streaming in the breeze and and the mm-hmm. and the slightly kind of pink eyes, and 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 it was just amazing. It was wind. it was yeah. yeah exactly. It was such a um, it felt like a much more kind of real and sort of gritty sort of reading of of robin hood but still a kid's book and i can my memory of that one is in the you know in the summer when you'd go to bed and it was still blazing sun outside and you'd be so annoyed because you're like there's don't want to be outside and i can remember my curtains let quite a lot of light through and so i remember just sitting there reading this book for hours long after Mm. my bedtime with you know one ear cocked in case my mum and dad came upstairs and quickly of course under the the duvet you you had you had your plan of action yes for what would occur if you heard that first step (laughs) Because the first step always creaks slightly, you're like, bah, book away. Yeah, you knew where the book was going, you knew how you were going to turn over. You knew the exact movement. Oh my gosh. Did you ever read with a torch? I didn't, because I couldn't afford batches. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was a luxury, I was thoroughly aware of the cost of double A's. Oh, you're so right. I just that, that's that's such a memory. I, the other thing was, so my bed was in different places it's in the such room. Such an innocent memory. I know. You were staying up late to read a good story. I that know. Was it. That's all you're doing. I know. I, I almost don't know why mum and dad were so like knocked if they found us reading after hours. Presumably because then the next day, been exhausted the next yeah, day. Of course you would. Yeah. And then we would have been awful. And but, but yeah, I, I can also remember that my bed. Um, it moved around the room depending on what furniture we had over the years and it, there was one one of the places well, where it itself. was yeah yeah it was very clever it was a, yeah, it was an adaptive right. amazon bed and i used to have the door you could open. literally get out the wrong side of bed <laughs> in the morning <laughs> we bang into the wall oh you wake, it's moved you wake again. up and the, the the bed's on the ceiling you're like oh what am i doing here <laughs> i remember i could there was a bit where like the chink of light would come through the door and i could mm-hmm. i could read in that so I'd sit there, lying on my side, pretending I was asleep, but reading uh, the bit of light that was coming over my shoulder through the door. <laughs> it's like mo- moving the book across yeah, to yeah. make sure you got the word. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And yeah. 
uh, you know, one of the pages would be really comfortable to read because you could just lie there, and then whether it was the other side, you'd have to hold your arms up, and they'd start to go dead. <laughs> oh man! You read those pages a bit quicker than the other ones. Yes. Now we've we've currently recorded one hour and ten minutes of audio. So, is there anything that you've not covered that you'd like to cover about the wonderful world of books? No, I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> covered plenty. I have literally nothing more I could possibly say about books. Good. We've covered the entire literary world of the late 90s and early noughties. I guess the sort of summary is is that they, you know, not not. I'm not big on the whole like, oh, children just have technology these days and it's ruining their brains because kids have different things that will spark their imaginations but in in a world where tv was very limited and videos were very limited and we didn't have netflix and all of it, books really were the thing that sort of broadened your imagination and 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 fired your imagination up with with all these different worlds and that you could yeah. inhabit and and i think yeah. I, I think it's very easy to say actually it's not very easy to say it's a mature and obvious thing to say um obviously different things now for different kids but i still think reading is massively better than watching a film mm. because you're making the child's brain do the work <laughs> it's not just presented with the information and the color of the dress and how mm. the characters move and what the places look like that has to go that has to, that, that that's work imagination takes effort mm. Mm. You have to try and imagine the thoroughness of the world, and so reading is important. And I, my form group, read once a week, and it is an enforced reading session, and some of them hate it. <laughs> but it's a good thing, and I think part of the reason they hate it is because they're not, they haven't got good books. So maybe I need to bring some books in for my my students to read. You should, you should well, I suppose they're a bit old for those our, books, for aren't they? But how old is your form? I don't know. Year nine's currently. Yeah, they're probably a bit old for Alex Rider and Stormbreaker and and, and they're Red in, Wall, They're in the the throes of full teenage. Ugh. Yes, year nine is a bad age, isn't it? It's a tough. It's a really tough age. What? I mean, they probably. Is uh, into teen teen fiction then? And teen fiction, I was never. I never didn't really read teen fiction because it was always a bit rubbish and like it was always a bit self consciously teenagey. Oh god, yeah, it was always a bit too on the edgy side. Like nobody understands. Exactly, you're just a child. And I, I always used to get just so frustrated with the characters in those teen fiction books who were just like, mm, "I'm going to do something stupid because like I feel grumpy." And you're like, "Well, that's just stupid, then, isn't it? <laughs> if you know Don't it's be stupid. stupid, be better than me, you idiot." Yes, exactly. <laughs> anyway, we should close it there, shouldn't we? We should. We, uh, we shall close the book of of musings. Hang on, hang on, thoughts. hang on. This can be our foley. Oh, look at that! Just at the end. All right, I'm going to close. You have a good book that will close nicely. Have a, have a large book. Ready? Three, two, one. And that's that. Thanks, everybody. That's that. That's the end. Thanks, Mr. Hart. It's been and a joy. Now for the index. <laughs> at three minutes twenty-one, you can enjoy stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> this could be a fade out. What? <laughs> this could be over there as the music comes back in. Dun, dun, dun.